Hey, all my IFG friends, this is Steve. I want to say, you know, if you like movies like I do, we've started a new podcast called Happy Hour Flicks. Uh, you can find it anywhere podcasts are found. It's all about nostalgic movies that we love, and we bring on special guests each episode, and we also have specialty cocktails made for each one, too. So it really is an hour of a good time talking about movies that we love, like Gremlins, uh, Seven, uh, Free Willy. Uh, we talk about The Last Starfighter also. So, I mean, we kind of run the gamut across all the decades and really have a great time. So I wanted to invite you to come over and join us at Happy Hour Flicks, anywhere podcasts are found. I always stop every movie I make on that first day when you start rolling camera and think about, like, what a miracle it is to be here right now. You know, any film that gets made, it's a miracle. This is the, the independent, independent, independent filmmaker's guide from Framework Productions. Framework, Framework Productions. Welcome back to another episode of the Independent Filmmaker's Guide. James, it's great to see you again. Hey, always great to see you, man. <laughs> Today we are talking about the God Committee. Um, this we're filming or we're taping this right before the July Fourth weekend, um, and they they're releasing next week. It stars Kelsey Grammer, Julia Stiles, Janine Garofalo, and just a bunch of other cinematic powerhouses of performances. And the movie's really about kind of the 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 difficulties of transplants and like the inner workings of the hospitals and politics within that. And it's really, you know, a very kind of a love letter to doctors and what they have to, the difficult decisions they have to make. Yeah, absolutely. We got to speak with the director, Austin Stark. We spoke a lot about filming in an actual hospital, what that was like for him and, and for their crew. We also spoke a lot about distribution and, you know, the pros and cons of, uh, pushing back your distribution, uh, as so many films had to do during the last year with uh, the COVID outbreak uh, to release or to push. Um, and it sounds like it's really working out great for them. Also, as always, we're always going to get into lighting and the look of the film and the story points as well. So all that and more ahead in this episode. I'm Stephen Pierce. And I'm James Allardyce. This is the Independent Filmmaker's Guide. Austin, so... So your movie, God Committee, coming out tomorrow. What, you know, for people who haven't seen it yet, what, what is it about? So there's a storyline set in 2014. And essentially, a, um, a boy is killed in a, a hit and run, right? And he's a, he's a donor. And his heart is being flown into a hospital in New York City. And the patient that that heart is meant for die suddenly on the operating table just a random stroke of you know she's an elderly woman and, and she bad luck yeah. Yeah, just bad luck and uh so basically there's not enough time to reroute the heart to the next person on the UNOS list because hearts expire within four to six hours of removing them from somebody's body and so basically a team of doctors a heart committee at this hospital has 70 minutes to decide which of three patients will get this heart which and so essentially they're choosing one patient to live over two others and that storyline is uh is paralleled with another storyline set in the present day which explores the impact of that one decision and how it changes the course of many different lives yeah and i noticed like watching it that it has the two different looks and the two different times you kind of got like current time and then future time i mean i guess current time and then back you know 2014 time have two distinct different kind of visual setups yeah exactly the um the palette uh, we wanted to 
to distinguish the two timelines um, stylistically. And so uh, as, as you picked up on, the palette of the 2014 storyline has a yellowish tint and the palette of the present day is a bluish tint. And so, and that was one of the things that I wanted to do. And I guess that, I mean, it's traffic is like an extreme example of a film that does that. Um, we were a little bit more subtle, but we still kind of embrace that. And I was thinking about that, even when I was writing the script, I was thinking about that because you're working with the same characters. It's not like 20 years apart, you know? So, so you want to distinguish it. And also like, I wanted to, uh, I wanted the film to feel cinematic. And when you're working in a hospital, you know, it's easy to just like have a handheld camera and let it be white and ugly, but I wanted to make something that looked beautiful. I wanted to turn that, that hospital that could be any hospital in America and make it look beautiful. So in both storylines, they're dealing with incredibly heavy stuff and also things that I think a lot of people can relate to if you had any experience, uh, you know, in surgery or anything like that. I knew, I know my father went through a bone marrow transplant. So you know, I was uh, I was relating to so much of this. How much in this story is based on uh, the the systems that happen in real life, and how did you get involved in finding that out, and and why did you want to tell this well, story? It, these committees exist, and essentially what they do is they they classify patients, so they determine who's eligible for a transplant, and how they do that is, of course, medical need is first and foremost, like how how sick you are but they also have to take into account psychological, social, and by proxy economic factors because they have, there's not enough organs you know, in the world. Like we have an organ shortage. There's 120,000 people in the US on, on the waiting list uh, right now. And so these decisions have to be made and they can't just give organs to anybody. And so it's unfortunate because it is a very well-intentioned uh, system, but it's also imperfect because there just aren't enough organs. And so in, in terms of how I, how I became involved in the project, I had actually heard a story um, uh, some years ago uh, that a friend told me and he knew somebody that was very sick and he bribed a hospital in the Northeast for an organ. And I just, I could not believe that. And that's something like that could happen in the US. And so that stuck with me. And then years later, um, this company, Crystal City Entertainment, had optioned a play by Mark St. Germain called The God Committee. And they sent it to me to direct, and I read that, and I was, and that story just came rushing back to me. And that's what set me off on this journey. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, same, same for me. My mother had a kidney transplant, and it was a very hectic time. So it's really, I mean, I think a very relevant subject matter for American healthcare, and I think even probably beyond just America. How did you? So they you read it to they brought it to you to potentially direct, and you ended up you you adapted the play to become a screenplay. Exactly. So it, it the play is based on uh, Mark's. Oh, sorry, the film is based on Mark's play, but it's it's quite different. I, I would say I like to say that it's inspired by Mark's play. Um, so Mark's and Mark's play is set all in the boardroom. The, their characters are different um, as well, except for Father Dunbar, I believe. And so I just kind of, I wanted to put my own stamp on the material and I just let it speak to me. I think I read Mark's play once or twice and I highlighted some, some dialogue and some, some, um, some of the beats that I liked in the script. 
And then I just put it aside and I wrote the screenplay without, without it like in front of me. Um, and yeah, so it sounds I, much, sounds more like a 12 angry men, you know, kind of piece like play. Exactly. It's a, it's a chamber piece, very much like 12 angry men. Um, the, uh, the play is. And so I just, uh, I had a, there's a, a, a few things that, that I wanted to explore. And one of them was um, in creating the storyline that takes place seven years later in the present day was just thinking about how the choice that they, that they make, you know, can change the course of so many different lives. And so, and, and, and that not just in, in, in that field either, I started thinking about just the choices we make in our own lives and, and the ramifications that they have. And that was like a major inspiration for me, as well as like, there's a question like at the center of the film, like, is it justifiable to sacrifice one life to save many? And that, that was like posted right in front of me, like on my wall, like I wrote it down, I put it on my wall while I was writing it. And I just, you know, used that as inspiration throughout the whole um, writing phase. Yeah, kind of like a core mantra. So when you're, when you're working from a derivative work, what, did, what are the rights acquisitions like? Like, how do you get the permission to be able to make something like that? They, they uh, the producers, Jonathan, um, Rubenstein and Ari Pinchot, they had seen the play and they just approached Mark and they had um, some development investors. They're, they're, they do a lot of development in general. So they just worked out a deal and they paid for the rights. Um, and then they hired me. So I was actually hired, but it really at this point, it doesn't feel like that, you know? And I, and I, I didn't do this for money. I did it because I, I was passionate about it. Um, but you know, now it's so weird to even say I was hired, but yeah, like they, they brought me on and they offered it to me just as they, they made an offer to Mark to get the, uh, the rights to his play. Great. So then after, after you write it, how, uh, I mean, you move into casting and the cast in this is quite, I mean, it's quite impressive, great performances. I mean, you've got truly incredible talent with, you know, Julia Stiles, Kelsey Grammer, Janine Garofalo. Um, I mean, it's really just packed full of quite a lot of cinematic talent. So how did that, how did that process go? Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty incredible. I mean, I finished the script and then one of the first people we sent it to was Kelsey Grammer. And Kelsey, we, I actually offered the role of Father Dunbar, which Coleman Domingo plays in the movie. And Kelsey read it and he was called me and he was like, I love your script. I want to be a part of it. I would play Father Dunbar gladly. But what I really think would be interesting is if I played boxer. And he's like, because I've just, I've been around for so many years, but I've never done this before. And he felt like he could do an incredible job and that audiences would be surprised. And uh, I thought about it. I said, you know what? You're right. Let's, let's go for it. And, and then from there, uh, it becomes easier once you get the first, you know, once you get the lead on board. And Julia Stiles is just such a great actress. And Jordan, the, Jordan Taylor, um, the character that she plays in the film is probably the purest um, character. But I like the, I like how like, Julia, to me, like, she, like, roots the character in something that feels, like, authentic. Um, she does not, she's not too big with, like, that, that, like, warmth. And, like, she has a nice, like, her, it's just her energy is, like, restrained and it feels very authentic. And that's why I wanted to cast her. And then Coleman Domingo, I just think, should be, like, a huge star right now, you know? Um, I mean, he is, he's becoming a huge star, but he should be, like, a household name. and just so, like, so incredible. 
yeah, his performance is it, it really does lift off the page. Uh, that's got to feel great whenever you get a cast like that. And, you know, you, you start hearing them read it and the text really you're like, oh, thank God moment. You know what I mean? Like it's going it, to it's look, it's going to come off the page. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. I mean, COVID, yeah, because it was it was interesting. Like, you know, people didn't like the people that were involved in the film they knew of Coleman, right? But I was so like obsessed with getting him and I don't think they could quite understand why, but I was like, this guy is gonna be a huge star, you know? And we have to get Coleman Domingo, you know? And so, yeah, that's how that came out. And then Janine Garofalo, I, what I, one thing about it, like they all, they're all amazing actors and they make my life so easy. But like for me, like the skill, a lot of it is like in putting these actors in roles that like aren't, what you would necessarily expect you know janine's like known for comedy she's known for being big but in the film she's so restrained very subtle yeah, yeah, yeah. very subtle performance from exactly and that was my job to keep her in that world because she has a tendency to go big but like it was i was like i promise you if you hold if you if you hold it back a little bit you're just so compelling you know just as yourself you know so on that note, what, you know, what have you worked with, um, you know, actors of this magnitude before? What was it like working with uh, kind of, you know, bigger, more almost? I, yeah, no, as I said, they make your job so easy. They're all so talented and they're there for the right reasons because we didn't have a lot of money. Like, we weren't paying them a lot. They, they were there just because they loved the material and they just wanted to be a part of it. Um, and so it creates like a, a really cool energy on set. Um, that it's just nice to come into work and, and do your job. Um, but I've worked with some other bigger actors because I started out, um, I was producing films for a number of years. So as a producer, I've worked with some big actors. Like I worked with Mark Ruffalo on, uh, and Zoe Saldana on a film called Infinitely Polar Bear, um, which Mark got nominated for a Golden Globe. And then um, my first film as a director, I worked with Nicolas Cage and Sarah Paulson and Peter Fonda, which Peter Fonda, that was, I mean, um, I could go on about Peter Fonda all day, but, um, and Connie Nielsen. So, and then as a producer, I have other, I worked with Werner Herzog. I produced a, a film that he did. Um, so, so, so I've, I've had a bit of experience working with bigger actors and, you know, I think it's like, you know, it's like anything else in life. They're like, they're cool people. They're cool people. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so what was your schedule like? Like, you guys, how, how many weeks did you shoot? And what was your, what was your overall? Uh, we shot five weeks. Um, we had five weeks of prep and then we shot five weeks. So it was tight. Yeah. It was tight. I mean, it helped that we were in a hospital for 40% of the shoot. Like, you, you're not doing company moves. Company moves really kill you, as you guys know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, and so, uh, yeah. So it was, it was, I don't think we could have done it had we not been in the hospital for, for that amount of time with our crew side we had a pretty big crew because in order to get the look that we were talking about that to, to stylize the film we needed a pretty like decent lighting package like it wasn't like we were just sitting there with the camera and and you know and somebody pulling focus or whatever it was uh it was quite a setup we had in order to make that hospital look good where'd you find the hospital uh it's in it's in queens uh, woodhull hospital oh cool so yeah. how did yeah, it feels like, I mean, that feels to, to own a hospital for five weeks or for, I mean, I guess you had it probably for two weeks then, two, three weeks. Yeah, it, like we don't, we made a donation to that. Like, and how we found them is like, we just scouted a bunch of different hospitals. And I thought that hospital aesthetically represented to me, like every hospital, any hospital in America, just that, right. you know. Um, and so, 
Yeah, and it was work. It was a working hospital. Um, right, that's what I mean. It's like it seems like that'd be really hard to find, especially in New York, like some place that could give you a wing to own or something, you know? Yeah, it, 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 it's it's challenging, and a lot of hospitals are open to it, but they're just it's very expensive, like locations. Mm-hmm. And so they were um, reasonable, but it also just aesthetically felt right. And it's a little, it's interesting while you're shooting because it is working. And so you're, you're assigned wings and you really have to stay out of the way of the work they're doing. The last thing you want to do is get away. Yeah. You don't want to, yeah. You don't want like a flag cart pop, you know, holding (laughs) up, holding up a thing where the gurney needs to actually move, you know? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, they, they, they were, um, there was a lot of planning that went into it to make sure like even just getting into the building and how we would get to the set and not interfering with their like everyday, um, their everyday work was, was kind of challenging. I'm gonna guess that this all happened uh, before COVID. Did you, did you wrap production before the we pandemic did, yeah. hit? Yeah, we shot before the pandemic, but you were talking, uh, before we got on, you were talking about South by Southwest and when that got canceled and we were, um, I, I remember I was watching that cause we had gotten into Tribeca and, um, and we were supposed to premiere Tribeca. And so when South by got canceled, I, it was like, you know, the writing was on the wall and then Tribeca was canceled shortly thereafter. And it was devastating, um, really, really hard. And it, it took every ounce of me to, to not just go and sell the movie and get it out as soon as possible. Instead, we waited um, until the world felt a little bit calmer. And uh, then we brought it uh, out in vertical entertainment ended up picking it up in January and and Tribeca was suddenly back on again um, and we got to premiere at Tribeca uh, on June 20th very recently and now the movie comes out so I'm very glad that that uh, we decided to wait once uh, when Tribeca was canceled last year. What was your process of getting connected to vertical? Um, well, our sales, we had a sales rep, um, ICM, the agency. And so they basically set up screenings. Uh, in this case, it was a virtual screening because we were still in the midst of the pandemic. And it's scary, like sending links around to, to studios. And, and But they, you know, oh, and Vertical, um, they had read the script and they had contacted us uh, about it before we started shooting and wanted to be involved. And so they had been following it for a long time they were really passionate about it and so um yeah they're they're great to work with that's great and that's great to hear i mean that's awesome they were they were interested before you even shot i mean i imagine you know having the names attached and having the the play the you know the provenance of the play beforehand all that probably helps yeah it 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 certainly did yeah it was it was interesting because they were um i don't know how they got the script but they 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 were the one company that really from the beginning were they were tracking it um and then it just worked out that uh we set up a screening for them and they were like it turned out exactly like we expected we'd love to be a part of this and so, that's fantastic that's like a best case scenario then yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> totally and it was that that was the reason why we chose to go with them i mean we had offers uh you know we had other offers and i just felt like they're they're a great distributor they're, they're doing really um cool content right now and and so, yeah, it just felt right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, everything we see from Vertical, I'm always like, ah, this is going to be, it's a different tier of independent film. You know what I mean? Like they, they're kind of like in a category of their own. I'm not saying that others are bad. I'm just saying they consistently seem to curate a really good catalog. 
Yeah, they do. And if you look at like during the pandemic, they've had a bunch of like successful films that, you know, and I think we can, we can see that just by like the exposure that their films are getting like streaming because we've had to just stream this past year and, and yeah, they're, they're very good at what they do and they have good taste as well. So you guys are ramping up, literally launching the a limited theatrical run tomorrow as well as uh, TV, uh, TVOD, right? Uh, all um, streaming. So all streaming, got it. Yeah, it's it, everything from iTunes, Amazon, cable, VOD, Google Play. However, people watch movies um, will be everywhere. Um, so the um, thea- but the theatrical run that's ex- those are that's always exciting and probably the the high point for you as a filmmaker, right? Also getting to see it on the screens. Yeah, one hundred percent. And the theatrical, it's, 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 it's great. Um, and you always, I'm a purist and I would love to see my films just to have a, uh, a straight theatrical traditional release and then to see them come out on VOD months later. But I, I, I feel like it's, it's also, there's something cool about like putting it in like, you know, every home in America um, on the same day. Cause as an independent filmmaker, it just gives you an opportunity to get more eyeballs on your film. And like, you want people to see your movie. You know, and and so it's like I, I do have like about this, you know, the, the industry, especially for independent films, is certainly shifting to these day and date releases where you get a limited theatrical and streaming on the same day. And I kind of have mixed feelings about it, but I, there's a part of me that thinks it's, it, it's ultimately good for people like us for independent filmmakers. I mean, you might be able, you're probably going to get more of a transactional bump from just the theatrical run. And usually you have to hold, they have to, you know, have the theatrical run and then hope that you're going to, people are going to remember your piece, you know, months later when it comes out. So I'm, I'm with you too. I mean, honestly, I'm just thrilled to see theaters coming back. I thought that, you know, the pandemic just might've been the end for independent film in theaters. Like I just, I, you know, it just feels like such a hard hill to climb, but people seem like they're coming back pretty directly like ready to go into movies and ready to see films again yeah 100 percent. i mean theaters well, I, I the industry was already moving towards vod but theaters aren't going anywhere and especially for for the ten poles, but also for good independent films there are always the angelica should, will 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 move will will beat on you know what i mean it's that's of course, like there's less and less films re- released theatrically, but you know, I, I I don't think this is the end of of theaters at all. So Austin, going back to production, can you tell us what one of your most memorable, uh, good memories, or fun memories, or or or, or greatest uh, memories is of production of being on set? <laughs> and then you know, I'm going to also ask, you know, what one of the hardest days or what the worst memory you have on set well, is. The, as the, well, the best memory I have was when we wrapped and just having a, a champagne with like with Kelsey and and Julia and I think and Coleman was there as well on that last day of shooting, which was really special. Um, the other thing that sticks out to me is that first day, like when you when you when you roll when you roll for the first time and you think about like how long I, I always stop every movie I make and that first day when you start rolling camera and think about like what a miracle it is to be here right now. You know, any film that gets made, it's a miracle. You know, it's so hard. It's so hard and it takes so much work and, and a lot of it is like, you know, not necessarily rewarding. Um, but when you start rolling and you're like, just, you know, I was thinking to myself, carpe diem at that moment on the first day, because, you know, how many more of these, like, how many of these you get in your life, you know? I, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm still a young guy, but I won't make that many more movies, you know? 
I think about that a lot when I start when I start rolling on the first day. Um, and the worst memory I had was just I had slept like we were we went OT one day and and we shot like super late. I got home, I slept like crap, and I, I barely slept. And I got back to set, and I was like a zombie. And um, <laughs> I fell asleep during lunch, like on the uh, in the middle of the hospital, like on like a bench, like in public, like the public, you know, where people were just walking by. And uh, Harris, um, the co-producer who, who works in my office, <laughs> he has all these photos of me just like passed out. It's like so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm the kind of guy who can never sleep during the day. Like I can't nap, but I was, I was beat. It's funny. You're just completely toasted on that day, man. Yeah, he's toasted. <laughs> um, on the tech side, what a uh, you, you mentioned you had a big lighting package. Can you just give us a brief rundown of what what cameras did you use? One camera, two camera, what kinds, what kind of lenses? Just the tech we, shit. We used um, Alexa Mini, and we had two cameras for the most part, unless it was like, there's some days that were, were very contained where it's like, if you're in like uh, Jordan's uh, like house with her mother, where you're kind of, you can just shot reverse shot. And so we didn't carry a second camera, but pretty much we had a second camera for the whole shoot. Um, as for what lighting package, I, I couldn't speak to that. That would be a question for Matt, uh, Matt Rowe, my talented cinematographer. <laughs> but I know it was it was intricate and we had a big camera crew as well. Um, Matt's, Matt's great. Like he he like does a lot of music videos too. He works with Mark Pellington. Like he does all these huge music videos. Very, uh, very talented dude. Have you worked with him uh, previously? Um, no, we had actually we were supposed to do a music video together um, about a couple years before, and that's how we met. And I, I brought him onto that, and then the label at the last second changed the song, and so the concept that we had like would no longer work, and so it just <laughs> never ended up happening. And but we kept in touch, and uh, so I reached out to him when this got greenlit. That's great. So I mean, that's how did you make that decision to go with a uh, with a different cinematographer you never worked with? That's a pretty big pretty big decision. Would that freak you out at all? Um. No, because I had spoken to him enough, like during the music video, like we were, it was literally the day before we were supposed to start shooting that music video when the student, when the label was like, so you were all, you were all buttoned up at that point. Yeah, we were like ready to go. And they were like, it's that song, the song was like testing poorly or something. And so they needed, they didn't want to spend the money on a music video, even though they had spent money on prep. And so Matt, I already, I'd worked with him like for, you know, a couple of weeks like that. And, and I was like in LA working with him and I got to know him. And um, so I, I felt comfortable and I wanted somebody who was like, who was about to do their best work, you know? And I felt that about that. Instead of somebody who was like a big name, you know, who has done a lot of features and, and uh, you know, wasn't necessarily like as fresh feeling, you know, Matt felt like he was, this guy was ready to make his best move. And that's, and that's why I wanted to work with him. I mean, congrats, congratulations again on the God Committee. And what are you, uh, where are you going now? What's, um, what's next for you? Well, thank you, first of all. And uh, what's next, I have a, a script that I'm just finishing right now. Um, called, it's called Plague with an exclamation point on the end. And uh, it's about, um, it takes place during the Spanish flu. So in, in 1918, and it's about a, uh, a cook who's like a grifter, like sort of like Jack, 
uh, Jack Nicholson in um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He has that kind of vibe. And he gets a job working for an affluent family on East Egg on an island that, you know, a Gatsby-esque island. And, um, and he basically uses the, uh, the pandemic um, as leverage to create an uprising with his fellow staff members and they take over the house. Um, so it's dark and it's funny and it's, there's a thriller element and it's a, it's so, yeah, it's socially relevant. It's about classes and yeah, it, it has eerie parallels to, um, to what we've been doing this past year, but it's not like a COVID, it's yeah. different. Like, it's, it's treasure, it's the treasure island set in the Spanish flu. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's a shipwreck movie. Because um, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be like I'm doing the COVID. You know, it's it's not that. <laughs> like, but I'm really excited about it. Where can people find you? Do you have a website or Instagram or? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm Austin M Stark at on Instagram, and then I'm also on Facebook too. Austin Stark. Great. Austin, I mean, it's great talking to you, man. Thank you very much for letting us watch The God Committee. Uh, I, I mean, I wish you absolutely the best luck. I think it's a great movie, and I'm honored to have got to see it before it got to release. So we'll be watching, see how your theatrical goes, and be in touch, man. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was great to meet you guys. Hopefully, I'm, I'm, I'm back again on the next one. Absolutely. <laughs> We'd love to have you back. All right. Take care. Filmmaking is a collaborative experience, and so is this podcast. Please take a second to subscribe so you know about future episodes and leave a review. It really does help us. For more info about today's guest, please visit independentfilmmakersguide.com where you can check out all our episodes that run the gamut of filmmaking topics. They're available in both audio and video format. IFG is created by Framework Productions. This episode was hosted and directed by Stephen Pierce and James Allardyce. It was produced and edited by Matt Mundy and Audrey Ray McHale. The music is by Glassboy. Find his music on freemusicarchive.org. See and listen to all the episodes at independentfilmmakersguide.com. Thanks for listening. Hey friends, we just wanted to take a quick moment to talk about two personal things. First, we wanted to thank you, our listening community and our wonderful guests, learning so much together along the way and continuing to learn, sharing our stories, making a lot of new friends and collaborating, which is exactly what this is all about. Which also brings me to my second point. In great part to many of these new relationships, we wanted to let you know that we've taken a lot of this advice ourselves and made our own narrative feature film, Heard. H-E-R-D, Heard, which is premiering this October on Friday the 13th in select theaters as well as on VOD. Personally, I think it's the perfect kind of scary movie to watch during our favorite scary season. So we'd love for you to celebrate with us and watch Heard. You can pre-order it on Apple TV, and of course, do the communal thing, see it in theaters. Of course, for all of this, please see our show notes, but basically, we're going to keep it all updated at herd.film. That's H-E-R-D dot F-I-L-M, herd.film as well. Thank you again, and be sure to give us a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to build this community and collaborate. IFG, how movies get made.